0: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Giving honor to Rector Father Andrew Petter, Assistant Priest Father Greg McBrayer, members, friends, and visitors of St. Barnabas Anglican Church, Good good morning. Good morning. Today, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said many centuries ago when he said, preaching is foolishness because it is a deliberate act on behalf of the kingdom of God to act right. However, the outcome is not always what the expectations are. Yet today, if the spirit is willing and time permits, as the Reverend Dr. Joseph E. Lauer, the third president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference used to say, I will do my best to allow the Spirit of God to move us where we need to be. Although I am a former United Methodist of 49 years, (laughs) I, like John Wesley, am not opposed to the church saying, amen. Amen. So this morning I want to preach on the move forward, will you say it with me? The move Move forward. forward. There is a history of who we who call ourselves Christians cannot ignore. History is replete with the critical need for a clear set of Christian witnesses amidst society's indifferences and brutal oppression. Christians for over 2,000 years have demonstrated their beliefs in action even at the cost of losing their reputations, property, or lives. Because of these critical witnesses, generations have been saved from evil and ignorance, aka destructive sinfulness. Amen? Amen. Thus, from the ministry of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and transfiguration, much of which gave rise to the courageous witnesses of the disciples, apostles, and those early Christians who faced vicious gladiators, ferocious lions, and other wild animals in the Roman Empire arenas. Today, in spite of those insidious opponents, of systematic or systemic evil, Christ and those early Christians witnesses still stands. Opposition to the witness of the kingdom of God is a real situation today as it was then. Today, we as Christians have to understand that Psalm 73, 6, 8 put it this way. Therefore, they wear their pride as a necklace and wrap, they wrap themselves with violence as a garment. Their eyes swell with greed, and their hearts overflow with wicked thoughts. Their talk is of malice and mockery. They have proud looks, and tyrannous words are on their lips. The authors of Holy Land and Holy People writes, we live in the tension between the already and the not yet. Therefore, it is for and with paramount reasons. We must know the history and the meaning of the gospel then, today, and tomorrow. The church stands this way. If we do not teach this generation, we are one generation from extinction. Here are some reasons to understand why. The church needs to be a verb, not a noun. For a verb for this nation to engage and re-engage is going to church. The church is at its defining moment, a place where the divine and the human intersect to plug up the holes of souls. The Reverend Dr. Clarence Newsom says it this way after the murders of nine people in Charleston, South Carolina at the AME Church. If the believers in the church really mean what they say in action, then good policy for the good and righteousness of the community will occur. The late Mother Teresa put it this way, I am a pencil in the hands of God. And whatever he wants me to write, I will write. Making Jeremiah the prophet correct when he said during his troubling time, we sorrow not for those who have no hope. When I was a 25-year-old senior minister of one of the oldest United Methodist churches in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, there was no one who wanted to go from my seminary class there. I had been transferred with questionable motives from Minnesota to Mississippi overnight without consulting my family or I. Yet on to Kosciuszko, Mississippi, I went. Eventually, after becoming involved in that town with several of its huge issues, word had reached several of my prominent members with the verbal warning, you tell that boy preacher, he better stop talking like he's doing or he will not meet himself on the road. In other words, they would kill me for doing the work of the kingdom of God. Initially, I thought it was a joke until three of my members set me down and said they killed and shot him in the back. They will kill you. And so I had to begin to tell a few of my members every road I traveled so that they could keep up with me in the event something might happen. Because I wanted to be a minister of the gospel and try to help a community, my life was threatened at 25 years old. It didn't help that I lived across the street from a well known, high ranking Ku Klux Klansman whose dog liked my dog, and they both ended up running off together. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. (laughs) Yet, even with such threats at 25 years old, the work of the kingdom had to be done. A witness had to be done, which is why I called on the SCLC Atlanta, Georgia president, the Reverend Dr. Joseph Eccles Lowry, for help. It was Dr. Lowry who years earlier played a pivotal role in the civil rights movement. He eventually became the third president of the organization that he and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. founded. One of those stories is his encounter at a lunch counter in Nashville, Tennessee, when they were trying to desegregate it. He went to the counter, politely, fully dressed, and asked the young lady to serve him a hamburger and a Coca-Cola. And she said to him, sir, we don't serve Negroes. His response was, ma'am, I don't eat Negroes. I just want a hamburger. (laughs) And so, as a result of that, she would never serve it. And he would go almost every day. His wife would fix him a sandwich and a small, uh, his juice, and he would sit there, and sit there, and sit there. And finally, after some months, He had to go out of town and his wife called him and said, you must come back. He said, what has happened? What has happened? She said, they have desegregated the lunch counters. You can now go order your hamburger. So he quickly came and went back to Nashville. And the lady who refused to serve him said, may I buy your hamburger? He was shocked. And she bought his hamburger. And it's Coca-Cola. And she said, may I sit with you? And he said, yes, you may. She starts crying. Why are you crying? I knew this was wrong. But I had three children. My husband died. I knew this was wrong. I knew of you. But I allowed my boss to control my life. And every night I'd go home crying and begging, asking God to forgive me because you wanted a hamburger, and I could not serve you because of the color of your skin. I will never, she said, do this again. May God forgive me. Will you forgive me? They both are crying, because she had allowed others to control her mind. It is important for us never to allow others to control our minds and our Christian belief, even at the cost of something. Amen? Amen. Leaders cannot afford to be spiritually bankrupt. Tomorrow's actions depends on today's decisions. Christianity is not for the faint of heart or for the wimps or the wimpettes. It is not. (laughs) Whatever you are today, You did not get there alone. Someone helped you, whether they created an environment of love and hope, or were designers for a troubling matrix that caused you to question your very existence. And although Morgan Freeman says, the key to to happiness is to stay away from idiots, we cannot always do that. (laughs) Yet, this is a day I can exclaim with much glee. It was Father Andrew Petter, who helped this man to be ordained as the first black American deacon in the history of the Fort Worth Diocese of the Anglican Church of North America. None of us get where we are alone. Amen? Amen. It is important to know the credence of knowing whose we are and who we are. The story goes after retiring as Archbishop of Canterbury he would spend a considerable amount of time at the Neshota House Seminary in Wisconsin. He would w- take long walks, sometimes ab- absent-mindedly. One day he walked on the other side of the Neshota Seminary where there was a mental health facility. He apparently walked too close to the mental health facility to the point a security officer saw him walking by himself. Thinking he was a client of the mental health facility, <laughs> did the officer order him to go inside of the facility? Upon entering the mental facility, he was asked, who are you and what is your name? After telling the staff several times who he was, they disbelieved him. Finally, someone thought, call Neshota House Seminary. And surely, as they described the man, they said he is the archbishop, retired, of Canterbury. We will come to pick him up shortly. (laughs) Don't allow others to convince you that you are somebody different. And if your witness for the kingdom of God is real, there will be those who will not like you, who will distrust you, who will never say thank you when you do good needs. Don't expect it. Let them, don't just accept, accept people's words, watch their actions. Today is 28 August, 2022. It is a day that commemorates one of the most historical days in the history of this great nation. This day, 59 years ago, helped transform not only this this country with its obvious segregated driven society then, but the world. This day is the 59th anniversary of the March on Washington. The day where the words of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke so eloquently of, I have a dream. As eloquent as that sermon speech was, its history of getting there was full of a troubling time, which in some ways remain with us today. There had been murders, lynchings, beatings, illegal jailings, church bombings, and shortly before being released from the Birmingham jail demonstrated for voting rights and public accommodations, Dr. King wrote on scraps of newspaper margins the letter from the Birmingham jail. Dr. King wrote the letter because there were clergy and others who wanted a quiet witness in the overwhelming forces of segregation. Dr. King responded openly from a jail cell why it was important for the church to speak out then and now. As this witness which society's sin requires it to be addressed. Dr. King wrote, beyond these I am in Birmingham jail because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their, thus said the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns and just as the apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of the Greco-Roman world. I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Too many others who call themselves Christians have been more cautious than courageous, have remained silent by behind anesthesizing. anesthesizing security of stained glass w- windows. Yet this moral movement will move forward. Some of them will be old, oppressed, battered Negro women symbolizing a 72-year-old of Montgomery, Alabama who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride the segregated buses and responded to one who inquired about her tiredness with ungrammatical profundity. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. My feet is tired of being pushed back and being treated as subhuman, but my soul is rested. They knew a greater day is coming because of that old Negro hymn which says, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever into the path, we pray. Today, as we review the core of the story of this text and this series of, of, of scriptures that have been read, are we compelled to listen to God on the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. As a teenager, as a young adult, as senior adults, admittedly at times it is a struggle to live up to the requirements of dominus illuminate mea, the Lord is my light. This term is the motto of Oxford University of England. When the world loses its way because it puts its treasures and too many of its priorities in the wrong barn, it needs the church most. Why? Because the church, in many ways, has to be the adult in the room. Amen? Amen. When the world loses its way, we have to be the adults in the room because the church that practices his faith in spite of his shortcomings shines the path to Jesus. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was stupid and arrogant, you straightened me out and helped me become responsible. The history of the church becomes incandescently clear how the early church then set the invitation for us to join the table today. Yes, the early church used this table with its imperfections called people, for many discussions and ways to plan ahead, the first to be last and the last to be first, to be certain none of those people were perfect. But that's not the end of the story. In spite of the early figures and their sinfulness and their turning away from Christ and turning on Christ and Peter betraying Christ and, in the, and the apostles and the disciples scattering because they were afraid of death, that they turned to God and overcome their fear and allow their faith to overcome their fears. This morning's reading, especially Luke does it, tells us we need Christ at the table. We need it in our souls, we need it in our bodies, we need it in our minds, we need it out there. It's great, it's a beautiful building, but the building is nothing without it. It's nothing without somebody like Father Patter and Father McBrayer saying, thus said the Lord and for you to listen and act. I say to you, storm's gonna come. People question why we even have church. People ask, why are we here? People ask, why do you read the Bible? Why do we shirk our responsibility and I'll act to, pe- as to people as if to say, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. There are no secret agent Christians. <laughs> There's no 007 Christians, right? You don't have to tell people, but show them. Don't tell me you want to be my friend. Show me. Don't tell me you believe in God. Show me. Today, as we conclude this sermon, the real table where we set to determine our place. When I was a command chaplain in Afghanistan of 39 nations of the world. And one of my jobs was to go out, and I was number two on the enemy snipers list, and I had to go out twice a week to see my principal, as he was called. And one of the determinants of your importance is how close you set to him. If you set far, you were less important. If you set near, you were very important. But he would always place you where he wanted you to sit. Today, Christ is at the chair, waiting on us, where he wants to place us. Are you ready to move? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.